Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 2137. Okay, here is your forecast for Friday, August 18th, and Saturday, August 19th. Friday, in the clouds with periods of rain, possibly heavy at times. Wow, big surprise. Chance of afternoon thunderstorms. Some storms could produce heavy rain, hail, strong winds, and frequent lightning. So high in the mid-50s with winds south shifting southwest 30 to 45 miles per hour with gusts up to 55 miles per hour early, increasing to 45 to 60 miles per hour with gusts up to 75 miles per hour. Even higher wind gusts are possible with thunderstorm activity. Friday night in the clouds with rain showers, possibly heavy at times early in the evening, chance of thunderstorms early. A few thunderstorms could become severe and produce heavy rain, hail, and strong winds, with a low in the 40s. Southwest winds shifting west at 45 to 60 miles per hour, with gusts up to 70 miles per hour early, decreasing to 30 to 45 miles per hour, with gusts up to 55 miles per hour. Even higher wind gusts, again, possible with thunderstorm activity. And uh, there's a note here, wind chill falling to 25 to 35 above zero. Now, Saturday, you have mostly in the clouds under mostly cloudy skies with rain showers. So high in the mid-40s, winds shifting to the northwest at 35 to 50 miles per hour with gusts up to 60 miles per hour. And there'll be a wind chill of 25 to 35. All right. studio in the great state of new hampshire welcome to the sounds like a search and rescue podcast where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the white mountains of new hampshire here are your hosts mike and stump
Okay, Stomp, episode 118. All right. It seems like we've been off air forever, doesn't it? Busy, busy. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I guess, um, no, I, I, I remember speaking to you last week. <laughs> I know, it just seems like a lifetime. I don't know. I'm just super busy. It's like way too busy right now. Yeah, I know. I'm getting ready to do a road trip, so it's going to be a crazy week or two for me. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it should be fun. Mm. Cracking my beer right now. Oh, man. See, I just got out of work, and I didn't even have time to get a beer. How sad is that? That is sad. It is sad. It's even sad. Remember back in the day when you would like take the time to make a Mai Tai or a real <laughs> cocktail? <laughs> oh, you want me to get back to the hard stuff, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want. Right, right. That's too funny. Uh, so I'm still traumatized by the verbal tick common sayings exercise. Wasn't that tough? That sucks. Yeah, it could have been worse. I, 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 it makes me hate the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, we got emails and everything. Like, oh, you forgot oh. a couple. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, yes, correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we might as well go over the list. One thing we missed, we didn't go over the list of the, the verbal sayings that we constantly do. Yeah. Uh, just because Lynn was ringing the bell, so it was sort of tough to pick up on them. So for mine, it's it's interesting, but there's no T in it. I, I do I-N-N. <laughs> it's a lazy. So interesting, exactly. And then from your perspective and what I've been doing, and then some nice listeners said that I say like <laughs> a lot as well. So thank you. So I've got, I'm written down, I've wrote down all of these sayings and I keep looking at them as I'm talking so that I won't say them. Okay. I can't stand um. When I hear um over and over again, that drives me crazy. Same thing with like. I don't. I didn't think that we said like a lot, uh, but I'm going to pay attention myself tonight. I am a. I I use like, and I am an ummer. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Not anymore. All right. So welcome to episode 118 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we welcome back our friend Brittany from the Taylor James Steves Foundation. Brittany is geared up for another um, challenge event to support the foundation. So we reconnected um, with her. We had had her on previously um, to find out how we can help. So we're going to cover some details about the foundation. So if you want to do a challenge for September, October, and also help out a good cause, uh, this one's a month long, so it's a little bit different than some of the other ones. Um, in addition, we've got some drama in the Himalayas. A Sherpa has been left dead on K2, and some Western climbers are seen climbing over the body. So there's a lot of back and forth on the the incident and the ethics around it. So we'll do our best to break it down. I think Stomp's got some some opinions on this one, so I'm mm-hmm. interested to see what he has to say. Uh, there's a recent hike on the Moat Mountain Range that I did. Uh, we've had a tragedy in Franconia Falls and unfortunately a fatality on Mount Madison. Uh, we've got to catch up a lot on some recent search and rescue news and we've got some other topics to cover that will keep you interested. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's get started. Like, like, um, let's get started. <laughs> like, right away. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, damn it. I said, <laughs> somebody ring the bell. So just a couple of housekeeping things here. Uh, we are going to be releasing another show on the 25th next week. And then we're going to be taking a week off for Labor Day. And then we'll be back on the 8th. So we're going to take one week off for the 
the Labor Day holiday. I, and I'm going to be on road trip stomp next week, but I'll be back Thursday to record. I'm going to be down in North Carolina, and then I'm heading over to the Smoky Mountains. I'm hoping I can get into Gatlinburg and check out some of the sites over there. So I'll post some pictures on the Insta. Mm, wow, that's cool. And it should be interesting. I've never really, I've never been in that. I've been in North Carolina a lot, but I haven't been to the western part. So we're going to drive through Asheville and Gatlinburg and the Smokies and Knoxville and all those fun areas. That sounds so great. Psyched. So this is on top of your Yellowstone coming up? The I'm going to Yosemite. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. In September. Yeah. So we're climbing Half Dome, which I've been watching some of our friends. So Danielle and Dolores have been out in Yosemite for like a week and a half backpacking trip. And they have all kinds of photos they've been posting. So I'm psyched. I can't wait to get out there next month. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that'd be excellent. Are you jealous, Stomp? Uh, no, not at all. I've been, I've been out there. Uh, I'm I'm like a one and done type of person. I just like seeing a place, and I'm good. I'm happy. I'm happy you for you. Did backpacking in Europe back in the day, so you you nothing impresses you. Oh, you know, it's like when you see the mountains in Europe and Austria. I mean, phew, holy moly, nothing compares. Just let me have my joys, yes. please. <laughs> you know, to be honest with I you, I'm, been to Europe. I, I'm still weaning this injury, so I'm just—I'll be happy if I can get back to these mountains like anytime soon. Like, so anyway, we'll talk about that. Yeah, well, don't get depressed. Nope, so far so good. All right, what is this brew day that you wrote me into? Well, this is in October. Uh, we've been invited, and I hope I'm not blowing a surprise, but um, we've been invited by Reckless to participate in a full brew day. And I believe this is in uh, preparation for a fall release of uh, Ty Gagne's full condition. So that's really neat. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, that'll be great. So we'll keep you posted on that. Um, and we're thinking of recording some segments and whatnot to show people how it works and interviews and all that good stuff. Fun times. Looking forward to it. Mm. So busy couple of months coming up here. Yeah, for sure. Mm-mm-mm. We're about to serve up some tasty hiking drama. All right, so Stomp, we wanted to start talking about this incident that happened on uh, K2. So K2 is, I think, the second highest summit in the world, and it's known as the most difficult climb in the Himalayas. There was an incident where a, a Sherpa, who, you know, those are the local people in the area that typically get hired to be porters and, and support the, the climbers. And it's not always Western climbers, you know, people say that, but there's a lot of climbers from Southeast Asia and Asian countries as well. Uh, but unfortunately, this, this, this Sherpa, whose name is. Mohammed Hassan had fallen off of a sheer edge at the top of an area known as the bottleneck. So this is 8,200 meters. So this is the death zone here. Right. And unfortunately, the Sherpa didn't recover stomp. And then do you know more of the details or do you want me to keep going? Oh, you can keep on going. Um, but I do know that he landed more or less on the route, the climbing route. 
Yeah, and uh, we'll include pictures in the show notes. But essentially, what this route is is if you, you know, you you're on like a probably like about a fifty to sixty degree angle. What the climbers have done is they've they've carved out a path in this super super steep area where everybody's roped up and they're cutting across this really just dangerous open snowfield. I mean, this is just like begging for an avalanche to come down on them or, and I, I think they're pretty close to the summit. So I, maybe that's not as big of a risk, but it's just a really sketchy area. And it's a bottleneck, very similar to Hillary's step that you find on Mount Everest, if you're familiar with that. And the, the Sherpa who had died, had fallen like right there, forcing the climbers to basically just climb over him in their pursuit of getting to the summit. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of video, there's drone footage of it, and the view and the way it's been reported is that it was sort of a shameful episode because climbers were just climbing right over this person to just get to the summit. And one Western climber in particular had um had gotten a lot of sort of grief because she had you know climbed it and i guess she's doing this pursuit where she did 14 of the highest peaks in just over three months so she's the world's fastest climber to scale all the peaks above eight thousand meters Mm -hmm. and she had climbed over so this is somebody from norway her name's Kristen harila she had ascended and now she's getting condemned by fellow mountaineers are saying that it's unthinkable that they would they would climb over this person in those conditions so i don't know stop what do you think well yeah she's also getting death threats now well it's an interesting thing so her team According, I, I, you know, I watched a bunch of videos and interviews by these two parties that seem to be involved in this story. And her story is that she did actually stop with her team and spent upwards of an hour and a half trying to assist this person uh, with rope and harnesses and this and that. So that's according to her. What's interesting is there was another team um, it was a male climber who was also trying to um, get to the summit, and they were documenting his attempt. And he decided to cancel under the circumstances. And what's interesting is his team was filming the, his his ascent by drone. So that's where you got the video of the uh, the woman's team stepping over this individual and then continuing to the summit. So you have somebody that decided to cancel filming her uh, apparent, you know, lack of regard for this uh, dying uh, Sherpa. So that's where you get the drama. Um, And you have this other person that got the drone footage on record as saying negative things towards the other party that continued on. So you have some serious drama there, and it's more or less like a he said, she said thing. Very interesting. Uh, I don't know what to think. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, and it's sad. They have some quotes here where they they reached out to the family – of um, Mr. Hassan, who was the gentleman that died. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a perilous job. He was a rope fixer and he was working to pay his mother's diabetic medical bills. And apparently they say he didn't have the experience to be performing that job. So huh. he might have gotten in over his head as far as taking the, uh, the, the role here as well. So right. it just seems like it's 
I don't know how well regulated this whole environment is here. I could certainly see them just saying like, hey, you know, it's an extra set of hands. Let's bring them up. And then, you know, I, I don't I don't really know what to think about this other than the fact that, you know, from my perspective, you know, and I think almost everybody that hikes around here would, would have the same perspective that if, you know, you're hiking and all of a sudden you run across someone that's injured or, you know, someone in your party's injured, like the hike stops and it becomes a, a mission to get the person back out safely. Mm. But it just doesn't seem like those same ethics can be applied in mountaineering because, no. you know, it's not realistic to get somebody out in on the 8,200 meters on K2. Yeah, I think people sign up for this stuff knowing that your team comes first. So she's probably thinking of the safety of her team. And then, of course, the assumption of risk. You you signed up for it knowing full well that uh, you could risk your life um, doing this activity. So... I do wonder if like a, this an incident like this happens again, maybe it will motivate people to say like, all right, well, I'm not going to summit today. I'm just going to turn around and try to go get more help. I think that's the that's the safer move if you're concerned about getting catching any flack over something like this. Mm. Does the story go into how he died? It wasn't hypothermia. He was he just severely injured. They claim that he was um, suffering from frostbite and hypothermia. Okay. And then he had fallen. Right. So, so nobody so really that's, knows. That's the the cause of death. And they worked on him for apparently they worked on him for a while to see if they could get him up. But yeah. I think at that elevation, if you can't get up by yourself, and it's particularly like you'll, you'll when when I put the the article in the show notes and you see the picture of where they were, you sort of understand to say like you know there's not even enough room for two people to get by each other. Mm-hmm. So. That's why they call it a bottleneck. So the person's just laying there, and it, it would be an impossibility to drag him out of there without risking him just falling down thousands of feet. So I think that they thought the best thing to do was to rope him up to the safety rope, and then maybe they would they would try to figure out a way to lower the body down at some point. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a horrible, horrible option for everybody up there. Right. Absolutely. Well, we'll see. I mean, maybe some more news will come out of this over time. But, I mean, death threats? Come on. Oh, by the way, the last point on this, she didn't help herself by celebrating her achievement literally that same day or whatnot. So, I think that PR was badly played on her part, and that's probably provoking a lot of the negative uh, comments and threats her way time in a place. Yeah, agreed. I mean somebody yeah. somebody dies that that has to take sort of the the that that takes up everybody's focus, yeah, I think. It should aside from personal accomplishments. Yeah, agreed. But speaking of personal accomplishments on another topic here, we want to give a shout out to a gentleman by the name of Will Robertson. Uh Will is the first person I think that we know of that has done a through a true through hike somebody else did this but they used a bike i think to to close out the gap on the road miles but hmm. he's the first person to do a through hike of the northeast 115 wow <laughs> so that is uh, the 115 mountains across new york and new hampshire maine and vermont that um are spread out across like the Whites, the Adirondacks. There's a couple in the Catskills. So he did a through hike of this entire, entire like section of the Northeast, which is pretty amazing. 
That is amazing. People are doing incredible things. Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, congrats. He, let me just give you the stats here, Stomp. So on, and this is what he posted on the 4,000 footer list. So uh, Monday, August 14th, I finished a through hike on the Northeast 115. The route was approximately 1,300 miles and it took him 59 and a half days to complete. He said it was by far the hardest thing that he's ever done. And he, this is the guy, I don't know if, I think we covered this. This is the same guy that did a single season winter round of the 115 that he did like two winters ago. So Will is, is a really accomplished hiker and really, you know, gritty person to be able to do that. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah, I want to reach out to him and maybe see if we can get him on. I'm trying to. Fi- I w- I'm curious whether he went northbound or southbound. I'm assuming he would either begin or end in the Catskills and then make his way to the Adirondacks and then over to Vermont, then the Whites, and then Maine. You know, either way, you you got to go either start in Maine or end in Maine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I think that would take me like 160 days to do. Absolutely. Uh, did you hear um, the news about Larson completing a double Prezi traverse in 10 and a half hours? I saw that on Instagram. I didn't read the detail. I didn't realize it was, uh, I know I saw he did the double, but I didn't realize it was 10 and a half hours. Yeah. I'm not sure about the, the half, but it was definitely 10 hours. He shaved off about 50 minutes, I suppose, and got the fastest known, known time for double Prezi. So congrats, Larson. That's super cool. That's amazing. That's, that's like cruising. that's about the time that I did on the single Prezi. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to imagine. Uh, oh, yeah. It's it's, it's <laughs> nice to be a uh, absolute beast. So yeah. good, good for you, Larson. Yeah. Congrats. Speaking of the fastest known time, I wanted to give people a heads up. Me and my sister-in-law, we had we had thought that we were going to try to go for this FKT because it's definitely achievable. Um, and I want to see if it's still out there and available. Yeah, so there's a supported mixed-gender team hike mm-hmm. that you can... And I think you just need to have one man, one man, one female. One male, one female. And... The the time is 14 hours, 14 minutes. So that is achievable by like an average hiker because I'm not super fast, but I think I did a I think I did the Prezi Traverse in about 10 and a half hours. My sister-in-law had some injury issues, but we probably would have beat that time. So if anyone's looking to get their name on the fastest known time site, mm-hmm. that's the FKT. Grab your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever, and get out there and try to beat that because the people that put that supported hike up. They just did it to get 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 it on the board so that other people would be aware that it exists. So it's a supported hike. So you can stop off at Madison Hut or Lakes of the Cloud or whatever you want to do and uh, go ahead and get that fastest known time. There you go. Well, isn't that Didn't nice? Sure. Yeah. If, if, I mean, if it doesn't get knocked down in the next month or so, I got to recruit another. I have to recruit a, somebody to hike with me and beat that. Um Next up, Stomp Fishing Game is hiring, and I wanted to just check with you to see if you have what it takes to be a member of Fishing Game Law Enforcement. Ah, okay, what is it? Lay it on me. All right, so the duties of a conservation officer, you've got to patrol a designated area, um, and you get to use ATVs and, and 
Oh, to identify violations of laws. So this is wildlife, natural resources, off-road vehicles, snowmobiles. ATV, snowmobiles. So yeah, you you can do Check. that. Check. You're gonna apply state laws concerning fishing and hunting. I don't know if you know know enough about that. No, I would have to hit the books. Uh, apply state laws around regulations related to ve- uh, vehicles. I think you'd be pretty good with that. You know, the snowmobiles. Oh, sure. Um, Equipment and license and arrest, you'll have to arrest violators. Could you arrest people? Um, sure. You going to give me a taser? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you tase them. (laughs) Question witnesses and procure evidence. You could do that. No problem. I think so. Speak to groups. You can do that. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Assist with search and rescue missions. You already do that, so... And then maintain equipment. Well, I mean, you keep your truck pretty good. Yeah, sure. Hey, so far so good. Okay. So then um, there's like specialty teams that you can work on. Advanced search and rescue. You can be a field training operator. Ooh, you can operate an airboat. I would do that. Oh, that does sound cool. Firearms, defense tactics. Hmm. You're a boxer. You know, you could do that. Dive team. <laughs> so there's all kinds of fun stuff here. Yeah. Okay. There's so far, good I'm benefits. In. And then here's the minimum qualification. Well, you're too old. Still. Oh no, it doesn't. It does, there's no age restriction, but you're too old. Um, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Education. You have to have an associate's degree or 60 credit hours from a recognized college. So you associate's degree or have basically done like two years of your bachelor's degree, and no experience required. What topic though? Like criminal law or, or conservation or. It doesn't say. It just says recognized college or technical institute. And then if you don't have the college qualifications, you can do a high school degree or a GED and then two years of of full-time experience as a police officer or in the military um, with a honorary discharge. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's it. And then... You've got to be a U.S. citizen. You've got to have 2040 uncorrected vision in each eye with corrected vision of 2020. I'm out. That's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure what I'm mine done. is. You're out? Yeah? I'm done. Yeah. So, okay, what, what's your vision currently? Do you wear glasses or contacts? I don't know what my numbers are, but I, I have like uh, contacts that are like two and a half and three, I think. Mm. So I'm blind as a bat. Yeah. I'm getting there too. I, I need readers like all the time. Like yeah. all the time. Like. Yes. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> normal hearing. Yeah. So I ha- I don't have normal hearing. Mrs. Mike says I have selective hearing. But I'm pumped. That's great. Yeah, no hearing aids. And then the selection process, it goes through here. You've got to attain a full-time police officer certification and you've got to be willing to accept employment anywhere in the state. So you, mm. you got to go, if you're going up to Cohos County, then that, that it is what it is. Sure. Uh, no, uh, candidates are prohibited from having body art or tattoos, where, which is excessive and or offensive, or which could reasonably be expected to damage public respect or confidence. So you can have tats or body art, but they can't be anything bad. Sure, makes sense. And a history of criminal or unethical behavior will cause an applicant to be ineligible. Oh, I'm out. I'm just kidding. Wah, wah, wah. So, uh, but anyway, I will post this in the 
in the um, show notes so that people can check it out and you can take a look at. Uh, there is a job posting that was just posted on Monday for a conservation officer one. Mm. So uh, applications close on September 14th. So you got a month to get your application in. So let's go. Yeah, I would suggest looking into it if there are listeners that are curious because it's such a cool job. Um, they're the salt of the earth like hands down the best people around they're great they're a family and um you know in terms of search and rescue my my dealings with them occasionally they're just the, the best they just make uh, these missions enjoyable under those extreme situations and um it's an exciting job you do so much and if you actually if you want to get a good idea of what they do on tv just look up uh, northwoods law watch a few of those seasons and you get a really good idea of what they do on a daily basis true true and uh, by the way it does require you to take a written test and then you have to pass a physical Mm -hmm. so um oh this is legit so you got to run one and a half miles okay so you have to do an eight minute mile. Basically, you got to run one and a half miles in twelve minutes or less. So you got to do an eight minute mile. Okay, on flat ground. So flat ground. Yeah, I'm assuming it's a track. I would crush that. Yeah, I think I could do that too. Okay, um, tread water for fifteen minutes, no problem. I do. I did triathlon training, so I can do that. Hmm. And then I, there's something I'm going to be in trouble though later on. So then swim 200 yards in seven minutes without using the dog paddle. I can do that. No problem. Um, huh. This is where I'm going to get in trouble. Stomp. Drag 180 pound, 80, 185 pound sandbag 75 feet without stopping. 185. Wow. I don't even know if I could yeah. do that. I guess I could, but that's a lot of weight. Yeah. And then here's another one. Carry a 35-pound pail and a 20-pound backpack up 22 sets of stairs five times without stopping. I could Cake. Yeah. Cake. I mean, the carrying of the pail would be kind of, that's a kind of a pain in the neck. My hands are weak, but <laughs> I could do the backpack and the 22 sets of stairs. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally. Any of the hiking-related stuff, piece of cake. Yeah, then you got to go through like an oral board exam and a second interview by command staff. So this is legit. Yeah. They don't mess around. Oh, yeah. They mean business for sure. Yeah. Wow. All right, Stomp. So uh, we'll post that in the show notes. Next up, I caught an article. I didn't actually, I didn't link it here, so I can't reference it, but I caught an article that on nine, you know how I love the hooks at tolls yeah. and the common man and all the food. So I <laughs> yeah. caught an article that um, the state of New Hampshire is accepting bids right now for the development of the property in and around the New Hampshire liquor stores on Route 95 North and South in Hampton, New Hampshire. Okay. Yep. So there's a possibility that they may be expanding the development of their liquor stores to include a, you know, larger services. So I'm thinking possibly they may be looking to replicate the tolls that they have, not the tolls, but the rest areas that they have in Hooksit, which would be absolutely amazing. Oh, sure. That would be yeah. cool. Yeah, because I, I can't stress enough how how much of a marketing opportunity if somebody from the state of New Hampshire is listening to this that has like pull like they should be marketing that 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 rest area in hooks it like crazy like New Hampshire has the greatest rest area in the country mm-hmm. yeah nice and clean and they don't even talk about it right right well that is good news 
You're gonna. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep. I'll be keeping a close eye on that. Yeah, I'm sure you will. You're like fascinated by these rest stops. <laughs> oh my god, I love them. I love it. They got the best steak and cheese. Them too. Anyway, um, so Stomp, you got a clarification. We got a coffee donation from uh, George and Chris. I think this is the couple I met hiking um, out Washington that um, they, they had listened to the show, they had gotten engaged and then they just got married and they sent in a donation and they wanted to clarify. They had said, they had said something about MB. Yeah, buy a couple MBs. I think, what wasn't it Moosalak? Yeah. I thought it was Moosalak, but that's whatever. It's neat. That they got married? That they got engaged. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Okay, but yeah, MB, we thought it was microbrews, but apparently they were uh, intending that to mean megabytes in reference to the uh, tight megabyte frame that we have month to month to publish episodes. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. So that was a good one. Thanks for clarifying, guys. That was funny. Yeah, I think you, you when Stomp released his like audio um your 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 EDM mix that that put us in the Oh yeah. in the danger zone. Yeah, for sure. That was a close one. <laughs> we survived. So yeah. thank you. And next up we had the per, uh, Seeds media shower Stomp. Yeah. I missed this. Oh, you missed them? That's a um a yearly event that happens right around the middle of August and miraculously the clouds disappeared and the uh, the skies were clear and um, Mrs. Stump and I went out to watch the event at the Welch Dickey Trailhead and we saw a couple it wasn't dramatic but it you know granted it was the day before the peak which was Saturday but I gotta tell you the one thing I noticed more than anything were all of the satellites we counted probably like eh, 500 Satellites cruising through the sky from all directions. It was the most distracting thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's only going to get worse. Yeah, there's a lot of satellites Holy up there. Moly. I mean, with with Starlink, there's there's a ton, and I even I notice it in Maine too at night. Sometimes you can see them, but I like it. I don't mind it. Oh, okay. <laughs> We do have to, this gets me thinking, Stomp, I didn't put this in the show notes, but there is going to be like a pretty cool solar eclipse in April, on April 8th, 2024. It's going to be a complete eclipse that comes over like northern New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine. So uh, we we may have to coordinate some time to get together. I think mm. I'm going to take that day off of work because I think it's going on like in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. So... If it's clear weather, you definitely want to be on top of a mountain somewhere. Oh, no question. But back to this thing. It reminds me of when you're hiking up a beautiful trail, it's nice and quiet, and somebody's coming down trail with a big boombox. That's the parallel. I'm trying to watch meteor showers, and there's just this big distraction in the way. So that's that's my parallel. <laughs> Stop trying to stop progress. <laughs> right. I'm a Luddite. I, I need my internet in the rural meeting <laughs> backwoods. <laughs> okay. All right. In animals going rogue news here, Stomp Can you believe this? a couple of stories. Yeah. This this one's been going around quite a bit. There's these hikers in Glacier, Glacier National Park that are hiking down a trail mm. in this giant like longhorn what is it, a ram or a goat or something a, like that? It's like horn? in the middle of the trail. Yeah, big horn. So they charged the hikers and just bolted down the trail. Hikers had to dive off the, the center of the trail just for safety. So that's adding to the list of, you know, sharks, orcas, and whatever else. 
Yeah, they knew the hikers did pretty well though. They knew what to do. They just cl- scrambled up away from it. Yeah, and I got an update on that that otter story. Are you familiar with this one? That the, the otters that attacked surfers at Hampton Beach. Are you aware of this? I didn't know about Hampton. I know that there was some articles going around about um, some otters that had been attacking surfers in California. So okay. uh, I think it's a pretty common thing. Yeah, well, it happened here. I got an inside tip on this one. So they actually caught the two otters that were doing it. And uh, it was, this is information from a conservation officer. And they had to call some instructors from the Boston Aquarium, actually. It's like they, apparently they train seals and otters and whatever. So they came up. Because I guess they can actually communicate with these things. And when they got there, they asked him, who did it? And then one otter said, it was the otter one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. You've been probably waiting to do that all week. I've been developing that one for like a month. (laughs) Put the sound effect behind it and it'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Oh, stop. You didn't pull this article. You, you're really not going to talk about the 50-mile murder zone in Yellowstone, are you? No, we don't have to, but it occurred to me that I think we might have one here. You think? I think so. Yeah. But the, the, this is a reference to the Yellowstone train station in the in the series where they dump all the bodies because there's no jury available because there's no people. And it occurred to me that I think we have Livermore Ghost Town as a similar parallel, wouldn't we? Possibly. So just to to be a little bit more detailed, like there's this (laughs) legal theory about like certain areas where there's no jurisdiction for you to be allowed to set sit a jury right so it, the theory is is like if you murder someone in one of these locations where there's no people um you know, no people, there's no way to draw a jury of your peers. It's something to do with the Sixth Amendment. I think this is sort of like that. The, 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 those people that think that they cannot pay taxes. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that this is like a bullshit theory. And Oh, I'm um, sure. You know, you, you'll definitely get in trouble. But anyway, yeah, you could be right, Stomp. Why don't you um, <laughs> try it out? <laughs> go try that in Livermore and let us know how it works. <laughs> well, like, apparently Livermore, the last two people left back in... I think the 40s, 1949 maybe. So yeah, it's empty and it's uh, unincorporated civil township. (laughs) My work. Maybe. maybe. For all you murderers out there. Yeah, we'll have to get some legal advice on that one. Yeah. Um, This is a silly story. If anybody noticed- I I didn't read this one, so why don't you run with this one? Sure. If anybody noticed, I posted um, like a- three panel story about uh, hiking and being careful not to slip on you know prosciutto on trail because you could get fracture uh, of your ankle or whatnot but uh, in Boston somebody is suing an eatery named Eatley in Boston because she slipped on a piece of prosciutto so now she's suing for $50,000 um, and this is a couple from New Hampshire, and that's that's the thing. I think that's why I posted it. Oh, I was holding my breath. I was like, oh, oh I know, but please don't be a Massachusetts person. Yeah, this happened in Massachusetts, so it's a, yeah. a lawsuit that was filed Friday in Superior Suffolk. Yeah, these New Hampshire people coming in, coming into my state, <laughs> causing trouble. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that one. It is sort of interesting, but uh, if anybody was wondering why you saw that weird Instagram story, that's the background right here. This funny story. So, hey, 
us Massachusetts people just minding our own business and New Hampshire's messing with yeah, us. Exactly. And uh, let's see, we have a, uh, a sponsor here. So we have Seek. Oh, wait, did I miss something? I'm sorry. Oh, the last thing on the list. Jigger, Jigger Johnson. Yeah, the last thing. So that's this weekend. Um, let's see, the 18th, 19th, and 20th. So the race is all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The weather looks a little crazy Friday, but not too bad. And um, good luck to all the runners. And uh, this is the race that's hosted by White Mountain Endurance, as you know, and Aravapa running. And um, if you're able to volunteer, they still need some help. So please just go to the White Mountain Endurance website and sign up. And that would be really, really helpful. I'll be there Sunday morning uh, through through the afternoon DJing at the uh, Waterville Valley Town Square with them. So that should be fun. Come on by and say hi if you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, that'd be great if they could, if we could get more volunteers for them. So, yeah, for sure. You know, I'll include that in the show notes, and I'll put some stuff out on the social media tomorrow as well. Mm, sounds good. And now, Seek the Peak, our first sponsor of the night, Mount Washington Observatory. Seek the Peak returns this summer with the classic Mount Washington Hikeathon. This annual gathering of New Hampshire's hiking community is the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory's largest annual fundraiser. Hikers raise funds, earn gear, and celebrate at our Apre hike party with live music, food trucks, epic gear raffle, beer garden, vendors, and people who care deeply about the trails and an inclusive hiking community. It all takes place at the base of the Mount Washington Auto Road. Our hike and make friends option supports all ability levels, pairing hikers with similar goals for a trek that's right for you. All hikers are welcome to help raise funds for the Observatory's Summit Weather Station and services like the twice-a-day Higher Summits forecast, educational programs, and research in the White Mountains. Seek the Peak is sponsored by the Great Glen Trails and Eastern Mountain Sports. Learn more and register for next year at seekthepeak.org. As you know, you can get your slasher stickers at Ski Fanatics right here in Campton, New Hampshire, off of exit 28 or at spinners off of dascom road on route 93 in massachusetts and of course there are advertising options for people that are interested with slasher so you can just send us a direct message or send an email to slasherpodcast at gmail.com Okay, stop. And then one reminder too, I am completely up to date on the window cling orders. I think I was late on like one or two orders, but those are all done. Um, I still have some extra window cling, so I'm going to send out an update on the um, social media channels just in case anybody wants to order them again we've still got some more left so if you don't want to get your car broken and i can tell you i'm a hundred percent on not getting my car broken into with these stickers on so yeah it works Mm -hmm. awesome yes um and then stomp now this is the part of the show where we talk about what beer we're drinking so what are you drinking nothing I had nice coffee. I, I rushed back from work. I have this new position out in Meredith, and uh, it's fantastic. Having a great time uh, doing physical therapy, so I just didn't have time. I don't have a little beer fridge down here. I should get one, I guess. 
Yes. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, when you go when you go to Reckless, you should just stock up on beer and then uh, have a little beer fridge. I am so so. I lied last minute. I think I said that I had been done. I had finished out all my beer. I had one sad little beer left, which is this six one seven. So the the six one seven area code from Lord Hobo. So I good stuff. Um, I'm just finishing that, and then that's it. I got an empty. I did buy some additional beer, but I brought it up to. Um, what did I do? I, I brought a four pack up to my, my friend has a place in Lake Ossipee. So we went out on Friday night on the boat and we had a few beers there and then, uh, which Lake Ossipee is beautiful by the way. And then I think I brought another four pack up to Maine and, and that got left up there. So I've got my one sad Lord Hobo 617 and I got to stock up on new beer. Where is Lake Ossipee? Is that south of Chicora? South of Chicora, yeah. So if you're going up Route 16, it is right past um, the Route 25 uh, exchange. You just keep going up north, and my friend is in Westwood Shores, so he's been up there for probably about four or five years now, and he's got a nice little pontoon boat, so we just cruised around the the lake up there. It's really big. It's bigger than I thought, and they got some nice sandbars, so if you want to do that, that lake thing where you you know, all sit in a sandbar in your boat and pee in the water and hang out and drink beer all day, then it's, it's fun. Mm, that's a good time. The season is short. Enjoy it while you can. Yeah, it's getting <laughs> cold already at night. Right. All right, Stomp, no recent hikes for you because we know that you're you're injured. Mm. Um, I did go and I did a quick hike. My friend Tom, who I'm going to Yosemite with, he needed to get out because he hasn't been hiking in a while. So we went, uh, he wasn't sure where to go. So I picked South Moat because it's close to me and I thought it would be a good hike for him. He's never been. So right. I've been a hike. I've been on South Moat like five times in the last year, it seems like, but it's a great hike. Um, so awesome views, perfect day. You know, you can never beat the moats. So mm-hmm. we just did south moat, and then we were thinking about going over to middle. And I told him, I was like, let's just do south and get back a little early. So that's it. That's great. Yeah, super cool. I mean, my my yeah. foot is ninety five percent better. I don't feel the pain anymore. And I really want to thank the listeners for sending feedback on shoes. I think I've um, honed in on uh, two pair of La Sportiva with the rock plates, and uh, really meant for rugged. Uh, rocky terrain so i think that's what i'm going to look for uh, at this point but again thank you listeners and uh i'll be back at it in probably a week or so see my so if my sister-in-law marissa is listening stomp has heard your advice and he is taking it Mm. yeah no no question about it and i I did research on various brands by them and uh boy they look great and um i think the the nine millimeter heel lift uh, is going to be really helpful too on one of the brands that I or models that I looked at. <laughs> models like I'm buying a car. I might as well be buying a car. There's like 160 bucks for these things. My God. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I just I was curious about the name origin of the Moat Mountains. Do you know what the name origin is for the Moat Mountains? Mm, no, I know what a moat is, but. So the moats are named after the beaver dams that were in the area when the early settlers arrived. So um, in order for you to get up to so the moat mountain range, you had to go through these wetland areas and these little lakes that are down off of Pasa Conway Road. And in those little ponds and, and drainages, there were these huge beaver dams. 
So when when the settlers went past these beaver dams and these beaver huts, they looked like castles that were surrounded by water. So the locals started terming them as moats. So they'd have to climb over the <laughs> moats to get to the mountain range because, you know, if you think of a castle, the water around the castle is a moat. So that is the name origin. And the word first showed up in one of the original maps from 1771 when they were settling the area. I think originally the the governor of New Hampshire, I want to say his name was Wentworth. He was offering people... I think as long as they would work like five acres of land for a certain amount of time, you could you could own you could get the title to property. So uh, a lot of people started settling up here in the late 1700s, and they started establishing a school and a whole town and and, and all that. But that's that's what they called the the Moat Mountain Ranges because of beaver huts and beaver dams that people had to go past to get up into the mountains. Wow, that's cool. Yes, pretty interesting. And then stop notable hikers of the week. What do we got? All right. Yes. If you want to tag Slasher on your adventure to be considered for the hike of the week, uh, do so. And today we have several. We have Bella Pelzar adventures who climbed North Twin for 11 out of 48 of the 4,000 footers. Nice job. Uh, Maya Devaya took sister-in-law out on her first 52 with a view and guess where welch dicky the old backyard easty banks hikes new hampshire was on chicora the carters and madison so this brings him up to 314 out of 576 <laughs> oh, i love those critters <laughs> it's crazy laura lie uh, Crag Camp to Adams. That's one area that I've not seen myself. You always talk about it, but I'll, I'll get there one of these times. And Margaret, our new five-year-old uh, out there crushing peaks with her dad, uh, she completed her 52 with a view on Monadnock. So congratulations, Margaret and dad. That's uh, amazing to see. And uh, keep, please keep us posted on your additional additional adventures so this is the this is the five-year-old that i had asked you to verify make sure that it wasn't 50 by mistake (laughs) correct yeah you can drop the zero it's definitely five and they sent along a picture too so it's legit yeah we have proof yeah we have proof so that's a pretty impressive uh so for the the, so the five-year-old has margaret has completed um all of the 52 with the views super impressive so is the plan now to do the four thousand footers I will ask and find out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nothing's stopping this little one. That is impressive. That's impressive. And I think in, in on the same theme of like little kid news, I think Littlefoot, who is Scarlet, she's a, I think she's six. She's done the 4,000 footage. She's doing like the the seasonal grid. And um, I believe that she is going to be on a TV show in Maine. I got to take a look at Kim's post, Hmm. her grandmother's post that she had put up there, but she's been on New Hampshire Chronicle, but they've got another show I think coming up in Maine. That's going to be, I I don't think that that's going to be released until early next year, but we'll keep an eye on that as well. So I love hearing little kids going out there and doing things that makes them happy. And, you know, we're proud of you, Margaret, if you're listening, good job. Mm. Uh, a few more. So Liz Fay did Mount Stanton Trail, Parker Trail, Langdon Trail, and a bushwhack over to Cave Mountain. And uh, because Margaret may be listening, Dave 
Blanks in the Woods, did Mount Hayes and Mascot Mines, which I'm not familiar with. Do you know Mascot Mines? Nope. The pictures look really neat. So do some research on that, people. You're going to like what you see there. Mer- what was the first summit? That oh, Mount did? Hayes and then Mascot okay. Mines. He probably must have came in from the other side. Like maybe that's on the other side of, um, it, not on the Appalachian Trail side, but you can come up. There's another trail there. So I'll, we'll do some research. Okay. Uh, Murph 45 did Galehead to Zealand Hut. That's a great trip. Jake Skis 603. It was his first time up Agio Kochok or AKA Mount Washington via Glen Boulder. Gulf Peak to Davis Path. That's such a great, that's like oh, my favorite approach. And then finally, Kim Fit 71 hiked Eisenhower, Sugarloaf, and then to top off the day, uh, did Artist Bluff and Ball Peak <laughs> as a cool down, I guess. <laughs> so nice work, everybody. Thanks for tagging us. And uh, any winners here, Mike? Yeah, we got to go with Margaret. Hey, two weeks in a row, right? Two weeks in a row, winner, winner. But uh, as you were talking, Stomp, I was taking a look for Dave um, Bleeps in the Woods. His site. So, yeah, exactly. He's he's taking the Mahoosic Trail, so the very beginning of the Mahoosic Trail off of Hogan Road in, in the Gorham area. And then, you know, I don't even know. It probably doesn't even look like a mile. You can, you can break off and go into Mascot Mine, and then that takes you up into uh, the cliffs of, of Mount Hayes. So most people that climb Mount Hayes, I think, I mean, I'm speaking for myself as most people, but most people come up the Centennial Trail, which is like sort of cutting over from Rattle River and, and staying on the Appalachian Trail. So, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, that's a way that uh, Mount Hayes that I haven't gone. So I may have to check that out in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me know. The pictures looked really cool. Nothing like a good cave to explore. Yeah, I like a cave. So, um, stomp next up here. So, we're going to do dump out into a segment. We got a chance to catch up with our friend Brittany uh, to go over the Taylor James Steves Foundation and talk about Taste Summit Challenge. So, why don't we move into that segment and then we'll come back on the other side and pick it up with um, recent search and rescue news. Okay. time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool. Okay, Brittany, welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having me. No problem. I'm glad that you, you decided to come back again. Some people decide they don't want to come back after meeting us. <laughs> well, I didn't get the full effect last year because I didn't get to meet Stomp, so I felt that it was necessary that I came back. True, uh, true. You, you, know, you still can't see him now, so Stomp's... You get the half effect. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, you're not missing anything, believe me. Believe me. Um, 
So Brittany, so um, you are here um, to talk about the Taylor James Steves Foundation. Um, you were on episode 70, so that goes back a little over a year, I think. Um, so why don't you just reintroduce yourself, um, give a little bit of background, um, and then you know, we can kick this off. Absolutely. So yes, as you said, I was on episode 70 last year. My name is Brittany Wasik, and I am the co-chair for a foundation called the Taylor James Steves Foundation. And we're based out of Southern Maine. And uh, we came into fruition after we lost one of our best friends to uh, stage four lung cancer at the age of 31. And he was never a smoker. So uh, after we passed away, after he passed away, we realized that there was such a space to help people like him uh, in this world. So we were born in 2018 and we've been helping people in the greater New England area uh, that have lung cancer for uh, going on five years now. So, um, yeah. Okay, so we we want to talk about the foundation and get into that. But the last time we spoke with you, you were getting out and doing a little bit of hiking. But I want to get an update. Like, have you been knowing that you were coming on the show? Have you been getting out and doing any hikes? And if so, where? I hate to even say this, but this summer has been a little rough for me with hiking. June was obviously we all know June was terrible. Yes. Uh, and every day that I had off that I was going to try to hike, it was like a rainy day that I just, I just couldn't stomach it. I just couldn't get myself out there. And then I just so happened I changed careers recently, Mm -hmm. um, which I sound like I'm making a bunch of excuses. Basically the bottom line is that I just haven't had the time to get out there as much as I would have liked to. So I literally have not hiked since I think March. Okay. So, so stomp cue the shame (laughs) drop behind this one, but also, yes, exactly. And then, um, What's your plan for for the uh, for the fundraising events? Though you, you're going to have to hike something, right? Oh yes, yeah. So kind of the biggest thing about the um, obviously we'll talk a little bit more about the challenge as we go on. But the biggest thing about the challenge is that it does give me that extra tiny little push that I need to truly like plan out my hikes, be ready to go. I always hike ten times more during the challenge as it is anyway. Mm-hmm. Just having that extra little motivation to get out there and do it. Um, I've had a uh, lower back injury that I've been nursing now for two months. So I'm trying to get everything in tip top shape so that I'm ready to go for the challenge so I can fully commit. Um, Okay. Well, we will mm-hmm. we'll be keeping an eye out. We want to make sure you get all those hikes in. So can you talk a little bit about the um, the foundation itself? I know you talked about it a little bit and you talked a little bit about uh, Taylor, but can you just go into a little bit more detail about um, you know how the foundation is set up and, and a little bit about the challenge? Of course. Uh, so those of you who heard last year, this will probably be a little bit of a repeat for you, but to everybody, new listeners, um, Taylor was just a wonderful, amazing human being. Like I said, never smoker. Um, or he was 29 years old, started to have some lower back pain, nothing that he thought was crazy. He was just reaching the kind of best parts of his life, just graduated respiratory therapy school, started working at Maine Medical Center, um, and started to have this back pain that he couldn't get to subside. He thought he had had maybe a football injury or something that he something else that he did to his back, but eventually the pain just didn't subside. So he went in to get um, an x-ray and they saw some concerning stuff on his x-ray. And about two weeks later, the day before his 30th birthday, he was diagnosed with stage four uh, non-small cell lung cancer. And, you know, everybody in our world was blown away. He was uh, the epitome of health, never smoked, worked out all the time, 
the healthiest person that you could ever imagine. And we were just all completely blown away, obviously. And it turns out that he had a rare genetic mutation that caused this lung cancer to start forming in his body. And as time went on, you know, we kind of learned that this is becoming more and more common in our world where young people who have never smoked before in their lives are being diagnosed with um, genetic forms of lung cancer. And uh, unfortunately, the prognosis is not great. There has been a lot of development over the years. So lifespan now is average five to seven years, which is awesome. Uh, Taylor was unfortunately one that wasn't so lucky. He fought his battle for a little bit over a year. And uh, unfortunately, we lost him in July of 2018. And after he passed away, we started the foundation in his honor. And we've been working to kind of just bring to the forefront that lung cancer does not always affect people who have smoked their lives away. And it's the least funded cancer. It does not get any of the uh, support that it really needs. And it's the second leading cause of death in the United States for uh, cancer causing. And um, so our, our whole goal really is to just bring awareness to the fact that if you have lungs, you can get lung cancer. It doesn't matter if you are the healthiest person in the world, you can be a marathon runner. And um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where the foundation was was uh, born from. And um, obviously our motivation, Taylor, always, always stays in the background uh, leading the way for us. So, yeah. Yeah. And I will say over the years, like I feel like in the last like 10, 10 years or so, like that sort of immediate reaction around like, oh, lung cancer, they must be a smoker. I do feel like that's dissipating a little bit because I think people are getting educated. Like there's a fair number of people that have been exposed to, you know, chemicals like asbestos and mm -hmm. um, sort of getting damaged through like smoke inhalation and things like that. And I do think that there's been a lot more recognition. So I think the good news is, is like you coming on shows like this and sort of calling that out is good. And I do think overall, like more and more people are realizing that exactly what you said is that lung cancer doesn't yeah. just strike smokers and hopefully there'll be a little bit more research into it. Um, so um, moving on to the, the fundraising piece of this, what can you refresh my memory around, um, you know, the purpose of sort of fundraising and the foundation? I mean, I, I, I remember speaking to you and my recollection is that, you know, the, the funds are typically going to support families that are going through the treatment process, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, we we started working with Dana-Farber Institute in um, in Boston, and they take care of most genetic forms of cancer because those are kind of specialized. Uh, so in 2020, we kind of started working directly with them. And initially, we had started the foundation with thoughts of doing like an adult Make-A-Wish Foundation type of deal, but COVID hit right when we had founded everything and started to get everything going. And uh, the, one of the resource workers that we deal with mostly at Dana-Farber, she said to us, you know, that sounds great, but what people really, really, really need right now is the basics. They need gas, they need groceries, they need pharmacy gift cards, they can't afford to get to their appointments. Like this stuff is really going to make a substantial difference to people now. So uh, that was kind of, we went down that route and now we fully support families basically with the necessities, what they need. So each patient, when they apply, uh, once they go through the approval process, they get uh, $1,000 worth of whatever they need. So if it's $500 worth of gas cards and $500 worth of grocery gift cards, that's fine. We've done, we do special requests. We've um, 
done glasses for patients or if they have something specific that they really need help with. Like a lot of people during the wintertime really needed help with oil bills because the oil are, you know, the oil costs were through the roof this past winter. So um, that's our, that's our main focus right now is helping people and families that are affected by genetic forms of lung cancer, specifically with the necessities, stuff that they need imminently. Yeah. They don't need to stress over the basics um, if they're going Mm -hmm. through this medical treatment. So that makes sense. And then the, the challenge, which is your annual fundraiser. Can you talk a little bit about that and about, you know, the structure and how you can get involved? Absolutely. So uh, Taste Summit Challenge is our, this will be our fourth annual Taste Summit Challenge. And this fundraising event, again, was born from COVID. Uh, COVID came and we realized we couldn't have any in-person fundraising events. And we were in the middle of creating a foundation and we were trying to figure out how are we going to be able to make money if we can't spend any time with people. And we brainstormed and came up with this hiking challenge, which uh, we nicknamed the Taste Summit Challenge. And the point of the challenge is that the entire month of, uh, we do it from September to October. So this year it'll be September 15th to October 15th, which, you know, peak hiking season, Mm -hmm. most beautiful time of year, I feel like for, for most people. Um, you hike and you track your elevation gained throughout the entire month. So it's a cumulative score. So you'll hike whatever you want to do, anything. You can be anywhere in the world, really, which is the nice thing about a virtual challenge is that we don't have to have it in a specific location. You can hike anywhere you want. Cumulative scores get added up throughout the month. And then uh, you can win prizes based on your elevation gained throughout the month and also what you fundraise for the foundation during that time period as well. So, uh, yeah, this is our fourth year and it's been amazing. It's so much fun. We, everyone that does it loves it. It's, I've never participated in a challenge like this before. That was more than just a one day event. And it really just, like I said earlier, it just kind of gives you that extra push to get out and plan some hikes and do some stuff during the time when you really want to be outside, but sometimes life gets in the Mm way. And, um, Yeah. Last year, our goal was to raise $30,000 for the foundation. We ended up raising about $36,000 for the month uh, during that time period, which is the best year that we've had. Um, And that was that was great. I mean, it's our biggest fundraiser. We do a couple other big ones throughout the year, but Taste Summit Challenge is our biggest one. So um, every year we're adding more and more patients to our list. So we're having to bump up these fundraising events because we have to make more money. We want to be able to support everybody that we possibly can. And um, luckily this event's been so successful that we've been able to support everyone that we've needed to. We've never had to deny or turn down a patient. And since 2020, we haven't had to deny anybody. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the main goal is to try to, is to make sure that you can support as many people as humanly possible. So and the elevation gain, uh, can you, do you recall, you know, what you would see for typical participants, like how, how much elevation they were, they were climbing? So last year, actually we, so all of the participants throughout the entire month, we totaled 477,180 feet of mm-hmm. elevation gained throughout the entire month. But the winner who is actually, uh, uh, he signed up from listening to the podcast last year. Oh, nice. That's cool. Um, his name is Josh White. I've got to shout him out a little bit. I asked him if I could bring shout him up, out. but he hiked 49,500 feet. Awesome. What a beast. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he, yeah, an absolute beast. I was going through his hikes today and like the things that he did throughout the month were just crazy. He hiked 18, he did 18 hikes throughout the month. The very last day of the challenge, he hiked, 
Adams and Madison and then realized that somebody was close to him. So he went and did three more hikes that day into the night to make sure that he won the elevation gained <laughs> for the month. Uh, because the girl behind him, she had 48,052 feet. So she was right on his tail. She hiked Washington the last day. And she also hiked until midnight that night until the challenge completely closed. And they were just neck and neck for the whole month. But yeah, they the two of them did some serious yeah. serious hiking. That's what you need is to to recruit as many like super. You need someone that's super hyper competitive, and then is also like a, a data nerd that tracks everything that they do. So mm-hmm. that that's what this challenge sounds like. It would be really hmm. good for. So. Yeah, and uh, it was. It's funny because fundraising is a part of it too. So your score is cumulative, but we have prizes for just elevation gain. So if you don't, there's someone who wins just for solely elevation, Mm -hmm. not for fundraising, then we have combined prize. Um, So while they were fighting it out for elevation gained, uh, two girls were competing for fundraising. So we had like leaderboard changes probably 10 times throughout the last weekend of the challenge. Two of our participants raised over four thousand dollars each for the foundation the winner of the overall challenge she raised over five thousand dollars for our foundation um so it was a it was a crazy month we had it was it was really exciting and the prizes at the end are what's the best part right so uh, the elevation winner for example uh josh he won a pair of msr lightning snowshoes for winning the elevation challenge next uh this coming year we'll be giving away um an ultralight nemo uh tent for the winner of the elevation gained and the person who wins overall wins a weekend at the new england outdoor center up in baxter so super cool prizes gives people nice motivation to want to want to hike and want to get out there and win these prizes so it's it's pretty awesome but yeah i gotta give a shout out to josh because he did some serious work last year yeah that's great very Mm -hmm. you know that's impressive josh and the person that was second place too they were really dedicated so that's like would you say he did 18 hikes or 13 hikes he did 18 and then Kristen, uh, the one who was just behind him, she hiked 20, she did 26 hikes. Oh, wow. So she, the entire month she was out every single day. Yeah. So literally. they're doing like, like he, he's doing like two to 3000 hike, uh, two to 3000 feet per hike, which is pretty impressive. And she's doing a little bit lower, but the volume is, she's basically going every day. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so all right. Well, Brittany, yeah. you better get out there. <laughs> I know last year. So for the challenge, I ended up, I hiked, I set myself a goal. I was going to hike 20,000 feet throughout the month and I raised $2,000 for the foundation. And in the past that had been enough to get me right up to the top. I was in sixth place with those numbers. I didn't even come close to, didn't even come close to the top. And I was spent by the end of the month. I hiked so much. I thought <laughs> I was like, I could not comprehend how someone can do 50,000 feet in one month. That's just a lot of hiking. Well, send, keep a, send us the leaderboard. Text me because otherwise you'll never get, but text me the leaderboard and we'll add it to the shows as you know, towards the end of the, the challenge, just to give people a shout out. But um, how can people sign up for this? Um, I know I have the challenge website and I've got the foundation website, um, but is it like open for people to sign up with now? Yep. Yep. So um, registration actually started the first of the month. Um, Like I said, the challenge actually runs, the hiking portion of it runs from September 15th to October 15th. But you can sign up and start fundraising immediately. So you can start fundraising throughout this entire time period. Everything will end on October 15th. So uh, you can access the sign up page through our website, which is taylorjamessteves.org. 
uh, or you can search Taste Summit Challenge in Google and it'll bring it up for the run sign up page that you sign up for the event through. And just from signing up, you do get a pretty awesome t-shirt. Um, so even from just signing up, you get to at least walk away with a cool t-shirt. If you fi- if you hike 10,000 feet through the month, you get a pretty awesome patch that comes along with it. And as you fundraise any amount of money from $50 up to $1,000, you get extra prizes for every level that you reach. So this year, if you fundraise $1,000, you get a Patagonia Nanopuff as your gift, plus three other gifts for every level that you kind of get to along the way. So it's definitely uh, good prizes for what for the work that you have to put in for it. Yeah, fun stuff. So listeners, step it step it up and take a look at this. We'll put this all in the show notes and you can sign up. And Brittany, like I said, keep us updated on the the leaderboard on Elevation. We'll we'll definitely include that in a couple of shows in October just so that, you know, we can peak some last minute interest. In sure. Here. Absolutely. We try to we try to always post the especially going into the last week, we do a daily leaderboard update so that everybody can know what's going on via social, but every Monday we update the leaderboard as the challenge kind of goes on, just so everybody can know where they're at in their standings. Okay. Because people are curious. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, um, before we get into our recent search and rescue news, and we'll let you go before we get into that, um, I did want to have you sit in on a couple of things. I wanted to throw this out to Stomp, too. I went back to the show notes for episode 70 when you were sitting sitting in with us, which was about over a year yeah. ago at this point, and I grabbed a couple of news stories that I thought were kind of interesting. <laughs> so we'll go back in time here. So, so Stomp, one of the news stories that we talked about was that – so this was in 2022 – um, it had been two years since the Into the Wild bus had been moved. <laughs> yes. So remember that? Like, you know that movie Into the Wild, Brittany, where the, the guy was mm-hmm. in Alaska? So in 2020, they had all kinds of issues with tourists going out there and getting in trouble and needing rescue. So right. they had helicoptered the thing out of there. So it had been the two-year anniversary of them leaving this. So it's like three years ago. Amazing. Yeah, the, I remember the pictures, the helicopter, right. like a Chinook carrying it out. Yes. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And here's another one that was interesting is all over the news, there was concerns about Lake Mead and Lake Powell because they kept finding bodies in the lake as it continued to sort of get down to the Deadpool right. level because mm-hmm. it was dry. It was so dry out there. And now fast forward to today. First of all, the levels have like rebounded significantly because they had a huge snow season out mm. there and, and people like, you know, it was going to take years to rebound, but now we're at the point where it's in pretty good shape. And as of this weekend, there's actually a hurricane coming up from um, like Baja, California and Las Vegas is in a, like a hurricane watch and they're going to get like three to four inches of rain this, um, this, this hmm. weekend. So, Pretty crazy how quickly that oh, was sure. ended. Rain mm-hmm. is like the, uh, the story amazing. of the summer. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. yes, yeah, everywhere, I re- I re- everywhere, not just I recorded, here. Yeah, I recorded the uh, higher summits forecast, and there was another weekend of rain. Like, oh my god, hey, big surprise! Yes, I know. It's very, it's old. I'm not going to complain about the rain because we've needed it forever. But the summer has been very. Very depressing. Yeah, I know. Well, you know what the worst is, and like you, are you still? You're still in Southern Maine, right? Mm-hmm. Like the worst has been like I've been going up to my father-in-law's place, and typically like mosquito season, it, they come in like 
you know, after Memorial Day and it's like maybe a week and a half, two weeks, and then you get like that warm weather and they all die off and you get deer flies. This summer has been like the mosquitoes have been up by the lake the entire summer. Like they're just swarming because I just feel like it's like this constant um, rain and cooling that that is just beneficial for them. So they just haven't disappeared. So I don't know if you're experiencing the same thing where you are. Oh, yeah. Uh, Actually, I took my, uh, we were dog sitting last weekend and we took our two dogs down to, we have a path right behind our house that goes right down to Sebago Lake and we got eaten live. (laughs) Oh, brutal. Like, this is the time of year when we're supposed to not be having bugs anymore. What is going on? I will say, though, the one thing about the summer, all of the rain, there have been no ticks. True. I have not, I have not picked a tick off my dog since June. Amen. I haven't seen any ticks either. Usually, like, I'll get ticks on like the beach just hanging out like they're in the sand but there hasn't been any so maybe that's a good sign i know i've i don't know if in i haven't like i said i have not been hiking but i don't know if you guys have been pulling them off of yourselves while you've been hiking but i haven't seen them at all no not me all right and then the last story stomp i was laughing when i well not laughing because it's a sad story but i i was kind of chuckling to myself that uh this one is about a um an old older gentleman in wisconsin that had been floating on the river and i know like you and mrs stomp love floating on the pemi but it's always like happy times <laughs> this was unfortunately an incident where like an older gentleman and a group of young people got into a, a fight on, on the, the river, on the river. <laughs> And unfortunately, the older gentleman stabbed a 17-year-old fatally. Um, and at the time, like he had gotten charged with, you know, all kinds of offenses like felony murder and whatnot. And I went to sort of look to see what the update was. And the the person that uh, had been arrested, and this was, I think, a 57-year-old guy, he still hasn't gone to court. So the trial starts in uh, April of 2024. So he's been, I think, sitting in jail waiting for the trial to happen. So we'll keep an eye on that that story. Wow. That was this time last year? Uh, it was like, yeah, I think you were like a little over. Um, yeah, he had just been arrested. Like, I don't know exactly when the event wow. happened, but it was like in Wisconsin, probably early summer. And, you know, now he's he's up for for a trial but stomp it's just a warning like if you guys go on the pemi and you float like and you see anybody that's doing anything any rough stuff you just get away <laughs> that's for sure yeah <laughs> you know by the way speaking so, of the pemi it's still raging it's super high still yeah 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 we'll talk about that in the uh the search and rescue news a little bit because it's uh it's something that we got to keep an eye on but Brittany, anything else before we let you go no, not at all. I'm just happy to come back and chat with you guys. Oh, that's great. Yep. No, it was great having you. And um, we will make sure we include everything in our show notes. We'll put out the, uh, the reminders on our show notes and, and in the shows for the next coming weeks for the foundation. And um, keep in touch and let us know how, how the competition f- unfolds. Absolutely will do. Excellent. All Thank right. you. Thank you. Okay. And we're back. And we're back. So what do you think, Stomp? Are you going to try to get on the leaderboard? Oh, my goodness. I don't... Yeah, hey, why not? That sounds like a great idea. I am so impressed by the people that are tackling that. It's a lot of work. Yeah, 50,000 feet of elevation in a month. That's like two Mount Everest. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad that we could be a help to the foundation. Um, Our listeners seem to be the best (laughs) out there for sure. Yeah, yeah. So sign up if you want a challenge, and uh, we'll keep everyone updated on progress. Okay. 
want to get into search and rescue news, but we got to do an advertisement. But um, mm. let's 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 uh, move on here. Stop. Okay, so we have Vaucluse gear. Do you have a sweat problem? Sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news at Slasher for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem. Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, size 15 liters to 65 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over three ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit vaucluesgear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER to enjoy a $5 discount. Plus, let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. Yeah, Stomp, I was hiking with Tom this weekend and I was using the the Valcluse, uh frame and I was kind of explaining to him how it worked and mm-hmm. we were like, I had him take a couple of pictures and whatnot. So I was trying to convince him to check it out, but I had tested my back a little bit. My lower back was a little sweaty, but what I've noticed is that even if I do sweat with it, like when you're above tree line, when you angle it, like so the wind is going through it, like you dry out pretty quick if you do have any sweat on you but it's still pretty good i mean the upper back was not sweaty at all which is which is great that's great yeah it's a great product yeah i'm actually curious because i'm going to be using my bigger backpack out in yosemite so i'm going to be curious to see how well it works with the bigger backpack because it like fits perfectly on the the 25 liter but i'm going to test it out mm-hmm So moving on to um, search and rescue news, let's do a couple of national stories here. So the I got a couple of stories sent over by our friend Al. So one of which is a story about the way Al framed it is he said that this guy is like the Steve Smith of the Colorado. So he is an author of like many of the popular mountaineering guides for the Colorado 14ers. So his name is Jerry Roach. So he, he is in a hospital in Durango, California after about a hundred foot fall on an unnamed 13,000 foot peak about a dozen miles west of Silverton in San Juan County. So uh, his wife was uh, posted about his uh, his situation. So he's a 79-year-old guy. His prognosis is good, but I guess he fell and wiped out. So hmm. his wife was with him and, you know, he was able to, I guess, get get rescued. There was a team of runners that got up the mountain and they made it uh, made it over there. They, they had lights and everything, so they were pretty well prepared. And then, you know, they stayed through the night. And they sort of knew that this guy was legendary. And, you know, the, the beginning of the night, he was pretty cold, but they got him warmed up, got a pad going for him. And then uh, they were able to, I guess, hoist him out with a helicopter. But that's 
pretty crazy that uh, somebody that that high profile got in trouble like that. So mm-hmm. it can happen to anybody. Absolutely, anybody. Right. Good reminder. It happens to the best of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then next up, Al also flagged that there was a rescue over the weekend. Um, so we were talking about the Adirondacks last weekend and, um, you know, great show. And we talked about the Adirondack trap dike and there, was, there happened to be a rescue of a 23-year-old in Canada. So I'll, I'll include the video that's on Facebook, but essentially it was a 23-year-old kid that got in trouble. They had to do a rope rescue carry him down to a helicopter that was landed in like the the bottom of the the dike mm-hmm. in a in a like a lake region and i guess it's a notorious area one of the the officers said you know it's a class four climb hikers often underestimate it so this guy was in trouble but luckily he got he got rescued okay um, and then next up, we have an update on Mount Baldy in California. So we talked a lot about this a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Julian Sands, who was the the actor, had been found. Right. Uh, apparently, the gear that he had on was just microspike. So he was microspiking it oh. in areas that probably would have been better served with uh, crampons and an axe. Full but, crampons. Um, this is this is sort of kicked up an argument around local law enforcement and federal agencies around them going back and forth on safety measures around. Mount Baldy because there's been eight deaths in the last five years. Mm-hmm. So some back and forth about whether or not they might want to put in a more rigid permit system or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I remember some of the stories that we covered in the past talking about that potential. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then I think stop, we got a bunch of local stuff here. So I'm going to put a pin in the rest of these national ones, unless you, you have any that you really want to do. No, no, that's fine. That is just a couple, <laughs> couple people on Arizona trails getting dehydrated and, and passing away. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hike in yeah. the, don't hike in the middle of the day in Arizona. Yeah. That's, that's the lesson. So the first one here stomp is, so we're going in New Hampshire. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven incidents. So we haven't done research and rescue news in a while here. Mm-hmm. So this first one came over, this is probably two weeks ago now. So this is an interesting one. I hear about this a lot, like, oh, I want to um, hike up Mount Washington and then take a ride down, or I want to drive up to the summit and then hike down. Mm-hmm. So this happened on August 1st. A 47-year-old um, man from New York took the auto road to the summit of Mount Washington with a group of family and friends. He then decided to hike down Mount Washington via the Tuckerman Ravine Trail, where he expected to meet his family that had been hiking up from the bottom. So somebody was hiking up Tuckermans, and then half the group had driven up, and then I think he thought that he was going to meet them uh, somewhere. So... The person hiking alone set off at 4.30. So remember this time, 4.30 in the afternoon on the auto road. So I don't know what time they have to head down, but I think it's probably around like 7 or something like that. And then um, at 4.36, so six minutes later, uh, this gentleman called 911 and asked for assistance. Uh, he had no food, no water, no warm clothes. Oh the temperature at the summit was 37 degrees with a wind chill of 28 degrees and wind gust of 54 miles an hour. Um, this 911 call necessitated a response from Fishing Game and AMC Club had come up and given some fluids and some food and warm clothes. And um, 
as they were giving aid, multiple conservation officers responded to the auto road. Andrew Scoggin Valley Search and Rescue uh, Search and Rescue Team had had come up with a dozen members, and then the Solo School in North, in Conway, New Hampshire, uh, was conducting a class. So eleven students volunteered to take the drive up. So it never feels when there's a solo class, there's always a rescue here. <laughs> Thank God. For a solo, not for rescues. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and the rescue crews reached him around seven twenty. So, my question to Stomp is like, if he left left the summit at four thirty and he called nine one one at four thirty six, like, isn't he so close to the summit that people could just like walk down there and help? Him? Oh, probably. Yeah, depending on the weather, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he was a little farther down than we think. Yeah. But, um, Eventually, they seven twenty. They got there. They started carrying him at seven thirty, and they reached the summit of Mount Washington. He had to be farther down if it took him an hour to get him up there. But he was transported mm-hmm. in a litter on the in the back of a conservation officer's truck. That must not have been a fun drive down, <laughs> uh, right? So, and they got him to the Gorham ambulance, and then Andrew Scoggin Valley Hospital. So. Mm. Um, the rescue would not have been such light work if not if it had not had been for the generosity of the Mount Washington Auto Road. So, mm-hmm. um, Fishing Game has a long working relationship with the privately owned Auto Road and appreciates being able to use the road in circumstances like this. And then the right. Auto Road, um, shout out to them. They allowed um, the conservation officers to relay twenty five rescuers and themselves up the mountain. And uh, hmm. that reduced a lot of time and effort. So that's great news. Right. Yeah, they're super helpful. Yeah. And shout out to the solo class for getting some action. That's great. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yep. It sounds like the gentleman is okay. He just had a little little whoopsie there. Right. And next up stomp, we have August 6th. Mount Manadnock. Mount Manadnock on the Marlboro Trail. Um, 36-year-old female hiker had called just before 9.30 a.m. Shortly before reaching the summit, uh, this hiker stepped in the crack of a rock causing a lower leg injury. So um, this resulted in fishing game officers responding to the Marlboro Trailhead off of Shaker Road and the Monadnock Park staff along with volunteers from Upper Valley Wilderness Response Team got to her so call came in at 9 30 they made contact with her around 11 30 and it took them about three hours to carry her back stop do you guys have like a rule of thumb about like you know x number of miles it's going to take you x number of hours to get somebody out in a litter it'll be double the time it takes to get up double the time it takes to get up yeah yep okay yeah, that makes sense here because it took him two hours to get up there, and then took him about three, a little over three hours, so a little less than that. Yeah, okay. yeah. In most cases, I mean, then you factor in trails that can take the the wheel, for instance, that you put underneath the litter. That tends to speed things up, um, yeah. but generally, that's the rule of thumb. How often does that wheel get used? Uh, in a season with say. 25 missions for one of the teams over here, uh, maybe uh, five times, maybe less. Yeah. yeah. That's not often. Well, yeah. I mean, you only have so many trails you can use it on. Welch Dickey is a great one. The Dickey Ledges. Another great one would be the Hancock Trail from the Hairpin. 
because you know how that's flat for what three miles to get to Mm -hmm. the ascent so those are two great examples where the wheel comes in handy yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I hadn't th- I hadn't thought about it, but I was talking to Tom this weekend when we were hiking up South Moat, and he was just we were both sort of talking about how great it is that that trail you can kind of hike side by side all the way. Like it's probably two miles in, mm-hmm. and you're you're sort of side by side, so it's a nice wide trail. And I said to Tom, I was like, yeah, this is a good trail because I'm assuming that if there needs to be a rescue, they can get an ATV up into this area pretty far, you know, right below the ledges on self mode. So he was like, Oh yeah, that's a good, good point. Right. Yeah. So anyway, but this next one here, oh, hold on so a second. Was I, I noticed something else on this story. I just wanted to okay. point out it, um, along with upper Valley, there was the New Hampshire national guard search and rescue team. Did you see that? Uh, I missed that. So this is a newly minted uh, rescue team that is actually uh, more located in this southern, southwestern part of the state. And they are National Guard uh, members that have formed a team. And this came into fruition, I believe, last year. And they've been training. And now they're up in Adam in, in action helping out, which is fantastic. It's great to see them on board. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Yeah. More SAR teams. Right. All right, stop. So this next one's interesting. So this is like a, um, a helicopter attempted rescue, but they couldn't get to her. So this was a hiker carried off of Mount Cube. Mm-hmm. This happened on August 7th, uh, 12.40 p.m. Fishing game was notified of a hiker that was in distress near the summit of Mount Cube. So the hiker was descending from the summit when he slipped and fell. So that's a that summit is a little tricky because it's it's all rock and it, it's definitely slick up there. Uh-huh, yes. Um so 70-year-old gentleman from Hollis, New Hampshire, he was hiking with his wife, um, who was able to call 911 for assistance. These are avid hikers, and uh, they had prepared for the day's weather, so shout out to them. Conservation officers, Upper Valley Wilderness Response Team, and then I think in that area, it's pretty common for them to pull in the fire departments, too. So they got all the surrounding towns, fire departments in there to help respond. Um, conditions of the, the gentleman were not great. He was deteriorating. Um, so they decided to try to get a um, New Hampshire Army National Guard Blackhawk crew to assist with the rescue because it turned into a life-threatening situation. Um, as the cr- flight crew was assembling, um, they were the ground crews were still making their way up. Uh, they reached Tyler and or the gentleman and his spouse at... Um, around 2.30 and began efforts to stabilize his condition. Around 2.45, the Blackhawk crew had started their flight from Concord. They figured about 25 minutes to get there. Weather got worse, and they could only make it as far as Plymouth because Mount Cube was completely socked in with rain and low cloud cover. So they made one more attempt from the west, but they couldn't get anywhere near it. So they decided to just call off the helicopter, and ground crews were able to stabilize Tyler, and they began to um, make the descent across, via Cross Rivendale Trail. So the gentlemen um, and the rescue crews arrived around 520. So sounds like they were a little bit um, nervous about his condition, but they were able to stabilize him on the ground and shout out to um to this couple they had purchased a hike safe card so hmm. um having this hiking partner who could notify emergency personnel probably helped save uh, this gentleman's life wow 
I, I love that area, by the way, <laughs> not to change the topic, but the, the pictures that I've seen of this area of, of Cuba are amazing. Oh, it's yeah. like the most amazing undercast I've ever seen in the whites on Mount Cube on the like the North Summit. Sure. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's very unique. But yeah, it's a great area. Um, it doesn't get traveled as much, but I highly recommend it. Like that, the in the fall, doing like a traverse of the uh, Smarts and Cube, like doing that as an overnight backpacking trip, mm-hmm. unbelievable, beautiful area. Yeah. Interesting uh, comments, too, about the New Hampshire Army National Guard. Remember a few episodes ago, they talked about how the weather impacts things. And I, I, if anybody has not heard that episode, I highly recommend it. It was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, no, it was it was a great episode. It was great to learn all about uh, their operations. So, yeah, yeah. I, I got a lot of good feedback on that mm. one. Uh, next up, we had this was a rescue on Mount Madison that had happened on August 9th. We got another one on Mount Madison that unfortunately didn't turn out as well. But yeah. um, this was a Canadian hiker. She had slipped and fallen on uh, Daniel Webster Scout Trail and had injured her leg. Um, and a call came in around 1215 and... You know, I guess they were tr- having trouble making cell phone contact with her. Um, they sent some pictures in eventually. They got some connections, so they sent some pictures in. Um, the conservation officers thought that uh, this could be potentially life-threatening. So um, the response, basically, they reached out to Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue and New Hampshire Army National Guard, mm-hmm. as well as fishing games. So there was some ground personnel that got to her from Dolly Cop Campground. That's a tough hike up there. Um, on Daniel Webster, that is a tough trail. Is it really? And they got to her location at 245. Around 4 o'clock, a helicopter crew finally arrived on the scene from Concord, and they used a winch line to provide ground crews with litter, and she was able to be secured and transported by air straight to Memorial Hospital in North Conway for further evaluation. Wow. It sounds like a pretty severe um, injury, but they said that at the time, you know, of the press release, that she's going to survive, and that both both hikers or her and her husband were experienced and well prepared. Right. They had checked the weather and they knew what they would do, and it was just a, a unfortunate incident. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that trail is a pain, man. I, I've been down that, and it's just all sharp rocks, and you know, there's a lot of, like, downward hiking that, like, you got to jump from one rock to another, okay. and I could totally see someone just, it's just, like, sharp granite slabs everywhere. Interesting. Yeah, is it similar to Osgood? Yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the, so when you go up Osgood, Osgood, when you get to the trail junction right before like those two or three false summits, mm-hmm. Daniel Webster Scout goes down in the other direction to Dolly Cop, and then you can like cut across back to the Great Gulf Trailhead. Gotcha. Um, to get through there, you just got to cut through the campground, so it's all kind of connected. Okay. So, but it's like it's it's a tough trail. Hmm. Um, and then this next one keeps us on Mount Madison, and uh, this is a. Ugh. A sad, unfortunately, a sad case. So this is a um, 21-year-old young man from Pennsylvania that was coming down the Osgood Trail. So same area of the the rescue. Um, so Osgood Trail is basically you can connect from the Great Gulf Trailhead 
to the Osgood Trail, um, which leads over to Mount Madison. So I'm assuming he had summited it mm-hmm. and then was coming down, or either that or they had just bailed on it. But 21-year-old from Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, hiking with friends when he experienced an unknown medical emergency and collapsed on the trail. Yeah. Um, friends called 911 and performed CPR for an extended period of time. But um, unfortunately, um, you know, they... You know, they worked for over an hour to give every attempt they could to save his life. Um, emergency response from Fish and Game started. Uh, National Guard uh, called crews back into service on Friday and had wheels on the ground as soon as possible. Um, and then they also had a helicopter out there in like within 35 minutes. So um, the problem was is that there was, you know, gust of 90 mile an hour winds and wind chill of 29 degrees during the time of the call right. so because of this weather condition you know the you know they they did fly into it but they were a little bit nervous so mm-hmm. they made a couple of attempts here and um you know it looks like unfortunately they weren't able to um to get to him via helicopter. So there was ground crew that got there and had performed all kinds of life-saving attempts. And, um, you know, eventually they were able to, I guess, make the decision to carry him to Madison Spring Hut, which was an absolutely grueling carry. So think about that stomp Mm -hmm. there in, um, you know, they're on the Osgood Trail. They've got to go up and over Madison and then get to the hut there. So that must have been absolutely brutal. But uh, this went on for like hours. Yeah. And eventually they were able to um, get him to the hut at like 4.10 in the morning. And then um, they eventually got a helicopter crew up there on Saturday to, to take him off the mountain. But unfortunately, he was deceased. Yeah. Wait, wait. Did they go up over Madison or take that shortcut? That skirts around the summit above Madison Golf Trail. I forget the name of that trail. Yeah, that's the parapet, parapet trail. Okay. I think you're talking about, and um, I can't imagine them taking the parapet trail. Anybody that was in there, like if they had suggested that, it would have been a horrible idea. Um, it's just, it's like, it's everything's like it's on the side of a mountain, and it's just like trees that are just pushed in. Like there's, it's not passable with a group. It's so relatively level. Up and over. That's the only reason I mentioned that. But it seems level stop, but it's like one of those trails that's like because it's on the side of a mountain, like all the footing is just like downward. Mm. Um, it's just down mountain the whole way, and it's just, it's an awful trail. It's the worst trail in the whites. <laughs> Next, think of like <laughs> think of the link. It's like that. The link. Refresh my memory. I don't recall the link. I think that that's like the maybe I'm getting the wrong trail, but it's a, those trails that like connect the Castle Trail and Caps Ridge on Jefferson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, those are. Uh, it's just a rough trail. So I'm imagining they probably went up and over. Mm. That's brutal. Oh my god, I can't even yeah. imagine. Matter of fact, they did. It does say in the um, in the the uh, press release here that they went over the summit, which is the right call because mm-hmm. you don't want to try to do that bypass trail. Right, right. So, and all the rescue crew were full winter gear, fleece layers, puffy jackets. Oh yeah, um, everything was like winter conditions up there. So summer's over when it comes to the high high peaks. Everyone's got to make sure you're bringing all your warm gear with you. Now. No question about it. Yep, absolutely. Whew. 
Yeah. And then uh, the next one, unfortunately, Stomp, we got another fatality. This is a story that came in yesterday, the day before. So this is a family hiking um, down Lincoln Woods, five kid, five person family, three kids and two, you know, the two parents. And they went up to Franconia Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is one of the kids fell in or they were swimming and got in trouble. And then, um, you know, everybody sort of jumped in to try to save people that were in trouble. And unfortunately, when everything sort of settled down, the mother um, had drowned. So the the husband was trying to do life-saving activity or life-saving CPR on the mom and the, the three kids. I can't imagine what a horrible scene this mm-hmm. is, but yeah. it's just, you know, unimaginable how, how horrible this is. I've never been here, but this is not the first fatality at this place. My understanding is that there's actually a uh, like some sort of a memorial and a sort of a warning to just say like stay safe in this area, but I'm not I'm not sure on that. I've been up here a couple times. Yeah. It's basically the when you go to Lincoln Woods before you get to the bridge to get into the wilderness area. It's that it's that like swimming area that you see all the people heading to in their you know their rubber floaties and stuff like that. But the problem is, Stomp, is that the the discharge on the Pemi it's right around that danger zone of six hundred right now. So sure. it is, it it's running a little hot right okay, now. Okay, so it's at the bridge. You go upstream. So when you get to uh, my recollection on this is you go Lincoln Woods, and then you know when you get to the bridge and you you go over to like. Um, you know, like the Bond Cliff or Owl's Head. Mm-hmm. Before you get to the bridge, you, there's a left-hand turn, and there's a there's a trail that goes up there, and that's that's Franconia Falls, as you can you can sort of swim in that area okay. a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. No thanks. Well, it's a, it's a nice area. I mean, it, it's a great area for kids and family, but it's like it's like anything else. When when the water's running fast, it's mm. it can get a little sketchy. Right. Oh, well, that's sad. Yeah, horrible story. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last stop, we've got a, a lower leg injury in uh, on Mount Eisenhower. A 53-year-old hiker from Massachusetts on the Crawford Path, not far from the summit of Mount Eisenhower, slipped and slammed her leg and sustained a leg injury. So um, looks like they got a crew of about 35 people to— um, Right near the summit, too. Yeah, yeah, that's a long. I mean, going down Edsmond, Edsmond's path, right. like, oh, yep. brutal. So, um, so let me see here. The call came in at two twenty. Mm-hmm. It looks like the first wave of rescuers got on trail at four thirty. They got to her at six thirty, and then they got her down at four. And um, she was picked up by her husband and taken to Littleton Regional Hospital for a review. She experienced hiker lots of good gear. Um, had taken the time to plan a multi-day trip, I guess. So she checked the weather, had contingency plans. She's got a hike safe card. So our friend George will be happy to hear <laughs> good to go. that she's got a hike safe card. That's two people with hike safe cards. So good for them. <laughs> yeah, that's great to hear. That's... Yeah. And then the last thing, stop, I did a little bit of an analysis. So 12 ATV accidents in the last like month and a half and one fatality so far. Damn. I wonder how that compares to the uh, snowmobile accidents in the same kind know. of time frame. I feel like snowmobiles have more volume of accidents, but that ATVs have more fatalities. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Wow. Um, but that is the um, the end of the show Woo-hoo. here, Stomp. So did we learn anything today? What did we learn? Yes. Um, 
don't step over dead bodies when somebody's filming. That's what I learned. Correct. What, how about Correct. you? Um, what did I learn today? <laughs> um, if you have a if you have a big ram goat thing on the trail, step off to the side and let that thing go past you. Correct. And and also never go to Lincoln or to um, Livermore with Stomp because he's got some kooky idea that you can get a murder. Yes, I might be testing some theories. <laughs> okay, and with that, we're going to say good night, and we will see everyone in episode one nineteen. All right, good night. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon from New Hampshire Fishing Games. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.